haven't heard any of that stuff there. So sorry if you were listening online. Now you can hear. Is it working now? All right, we're good. So Joe, if you wouldn't notice that a long time ago, I would have fixed it. So, but oh well, it's okay. I actually am glad when they can't hear me online singing. That's a good thing. I'll take that. I, if I yeah, amen. The only thing, the only thing worse that. I'm, the only thing worse than listening to me preach online is listening to me sing online. That's, those would be the two worst there. We're going to look at the Lord's Supper tonight. A few weeks ago, last time we were together on a Wednesday night, we talked about the doctrine of the church, and we talked about the two ordinances that were given to the church, that of baptism and that of the Lord's Supper. Now, when we look at both of these, when we look at baptism and we look at the Lord's Supper, there are so many different ideas and thoughts that people have on both of them. And some people's thoughts are really out there. And some people's thoughts are close, but not quite close enough. We're going to look tonight at the Lord's Supper. And as I mentioned, the ordinances of the church, the things that the Lord gave us that we can do, is follow the Lord in believer's baptism. There are those out there that believe that baptism saves you. The Bible does not teach anywhere that baptism saves you. It teaches that your belief in Jesus Christ, the gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that's where salvation comes from. We also, if you study the Bible, there are a lot of people that have been sprinkled. And the Bible does not show us anywhere where a sprinkling ever takes place. And so when we look at that and we think on those things, Jesus, when he came up out of the water... The Spirit descended and God spoke. When um, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, when the eunuch came up out of the water, Philip disappeared out of there. That's quite a story there. You can look there at Acts chapter number 8. But baptism is simply to let everyone know it's an outward expression of an inward decision. Yet many people have the wrong thoughts on those things. That's why when we think about infant baptism where sprinkling came in, what happened was there were churches or groups of people that believed that baptism was necessary for salvation. So what they had to do was they sprinkled those kids because they wanted them to be able to go to heaven. But the Bible doesn't teach anywhere that you sprinkle a kid to get them into heaven. I also heard someone a few weeks ago gave me another explanation. They said that in the wintertime, the rivers and things were so cold, they sprinkled instead of doing that. And that could be possible, too. I'm not going to say it wasn't, but that's not the scriptural pattern that we see. Now, when we talk about the Lord's Supper, there are so many divisive thoughts on the Lord's Supper. We make so much out of things that were meant to not be so complicated. But that's what we do. We are very good in Christianity at complicating what God did not mean to complicate. Salvation is not complicated. It's very simple. The Lord's Supper is to be done in remembrance of him. But even in our Baptist churches, there are lots of different ideas when it comes to the Lord's Supper. Um, I remember, I'm thinking back 12 years ago, I, um, I had been pastoring here in town for three weeks. Had a little building on the other side of town on Cheyenne Way, right by the Food for Life ministry right there. We met in a building four doors down right from where that place is. And uh, I was teaching through the, some of the Baptist distinctives, and I taught on the Lord's Supper. Well, I'm going to mention it in a little bit here tonight, but the church here at Victory, 
before me, the previous pastor and the way the church had done it, it was a closed communion type church. And I don't believe that way. And I knew, and I'm going to explain some of that tonight. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. But we had, we had some of the members from here coming to our church that night. I remember them coming, and I'm thinking, I was outside the building, and I'm like, I'm not going to preach that message tonight. Because what, what if they don't want me as their pastor after they hear where I stand on that? But I ended up doing it because the Lord's like, what, are you embarrassed of what you believe? No. And so I did it. And we really do the Lord's Supper differently than how the church used to do it. And I'm going to explain some of that tonight. You say, well, was the church wrong in how the church did it? No, they were not wrong in how they did it. And that's not at all what I'm saying. But the church was a closed communion church. And I'm going to explain some of those thoughts tonight. So what I'm trying to say is when it comes to Baptist churches, there's a wide range of ideas in Baptist churches. Not hardly any of them do it all the same. There's different thoughts and ideas and a lot of it comes from 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. So tonight as we look at this tonight, I just want you to see it. I'm going to try to explain some things and give you some insight, some thoughts about the Lord's Supper. Maybe some things you never thought of, maybe some things you did think of. But we look at chapter number 11, and we look at verse number 2. This is why we believe that the Lord's Supper is an ordinance. Because verse number 2, look at what it says. Now I praise you, brethren that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I deliver them to you. That's where we get the idea that the Lord's Supper is an ordinance because it's one of the things that is going to be mentioned here in just a second. And Stephanie, if it would be easier, you could always, because I know like on Sunday mornings or at different times when he's here, your whole area back over there is open. If it's easier to be towards the back and not in the front, if he's a distraction for anything, just so you know, that's always an option. But if, you don't have to, but I'm just saying it's an option if you need it. So, as we look at this tonight, we see and we talk about the Lord's Supper. I want you to skip down with me to verse number 17. The church in Corinth had a problem when it came to the Lord's Supper. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. The Bible says here, Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that ye come together not for the better, but for the worst. For first of all, when ye come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When ye come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, every one taketh before another his own supper. And one is hungry... And the other is drunken. So what we see, they were making a potluck out of the Lord's Supper. And they were filling their plates up. The Lord's Supper was never meant as a big meal for the church. Keep that in mind as we go further into our thoughts here, okay? And so it says there, um, verse number 22, What have ye not houses to eat and drink in? Or despise ye the, how, the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. 
says, Do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily. Now let's hold here for a second. Let's think hard on this one. Are any of us worthy? Are any of us worthy? No. But because of Jesus Christ, we are. Does that make sense? So when we think on that thought there, this unworthily, what it is talking about, is going back to what the whole issue was. The issue here was they were making a feast of this thing, and we'll talk more about this later on. Let's keep on reading and see what else it says. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if a man hunger, let him eat at home. That ye come not together into condemnation. Do you see that you come not together into condemnation? Do you see this is the problem? Let's keep on reading. And the rest will I set in order when I come. So when we started the chapter, Paul tells them in Corinth that he wants them that ye remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I've delivered them to you. Then we see down in verse number 23, it says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. Do you see where we get the idea that the Lord's Supper is an ordinance? From those two passages together. And so let's have a word of prayer. And we're going to dive in tonight and look at the doctrine of the Lord's Supper. Father, we thank you for this evening and the time that we have. We need you. We need your help. I pray that you would guide us. And I know it seemed to me, maybe it's just me. I feel like there's a lot of distractions in my head. Maybe it's inside of my head and it's not in the room here. But it feels like there's distractions. I pray you'd remove those and help us to focus on you for a little bit. And to get something from this passage. We love you. We need you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, let's dive in. Number one. Oh, I'll give Joe a second. Is, is the TV not working? It's scrambled? Oh, scrambled like an egg? Maybe that's what's wrong. I'm feeling that up there in my head right now. Maybe that is showing what, feel, what it feels like in my brain at this moment. That could be it. It's kind of like scrambled eggs up there, so I don't know. I don't, I don't understand why it's scrambled. i got to look and see what it looks like. So, but number one, go ahead and write this down. What is the Lord's Supper? Yeah, that is. What is the Lord's Supper? I saw it. I don't, I don't know what it's doing. It's got a mind of its own. I've always told people the devil's in technology, right? He's just messing up that side room. Someone in that side room, the devil doesn't want you to get this sermon tonight. So focus in, all right? So what is the Lord's Supper? Letter A, as we go through this, we're going to look at some unscriptural teaching about the Lord's Supper as we dive in. Now, there are several false ideas when it comes to the Lord's Supper. The first one I'm going to give you, number one, is transubstantiation. And in transubstantiation, this is a Catholic view of the Lord's Supper. The wafer and the wine literally and actually change into substance to become the real flesh and blood of Jesus Christ. It's a centerpiece in Roman Catholicism. 
And in, and in all reality, it also gives the idea when they come together and do this, that Christ is dying and he continues to die over and over and over again for the sins of the people. And it denies his finished work and what he did on the cross. And when we look at that and we think on those things, they get the idea for transubstantiation from this verse. John chapter 6, verse 54. Whosoever eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I'll raise him up in the last day. This is one of the verses that they use. Now, if you know that passage very well, you see many people didn't understand what Jesus was trying to say there. And a lot of the followers, John 6, 66, 666, people quit following the Lord and went back home because this was too hard to understand. Now, what you got to understand is Jesus was not literally telling them to eat his flesh. It was a metaphor there is what it was. Because you got to understand something. Jesus was literally there with them. Did he stick out his arm and say, here, bite me? He didn't do that. Here, poke my finger and drink this. It was a metaphor about his flesh and his blood, his body being beaten, him dying on the cross, his blood being shed so that we could have eternal life. But that's where that idea comes from, the transubstantiation. Now, I could give you more verses to go further, and I'm just going to give you one. Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 10 through 12, the Bible says, By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Do you see once for all? Not every time the Eucharist or the Mass takes place. Once for all. That's the big problem with transubstantiation. Because he keeps dying and dying. He died once. That's why if you go into a Catholic church, you see Jesus on the cross still. Because they believe he's still on the cross and still dying and paying the price. You come into a church like ours, and some churches don't have crosses, but a cross in here, there's no Jesus hanging on it because he's down off the cross and he's back up in heaven. That's what makes transubstantiation wrong. And it's not literally the wafer, the bread, and the juice don't mystically become his body. This do in remembrance of me. And so we see this false teaching of transubstantiation. There's another one. I always have a hard time saying this one. Consubstantiation. I'm just going to say it like that. This is a Lutheran church view on it. And in all tendency, you've got to understand something. And I'm not going to go into a deep church based idea with you tonight, but you had the Catholic Church. You had Luther come out, the Protestant Reformation, they protest, they came out of the Catholic Church. But the Methodists and the Lutherans, they really were just a little bit different than what, what the Catholics were. They didn't change a lot of things. They protested some things they found in the Bible, but they didn't get it all the way correct. They got some of it correct. So they kept some of this idea, but they changed it up just a little bit. And when they did that, it holds that although the elements are not changed upon their consecration by the priest, the body and the blood, of they are mystically present and are there when you take of the Lord's Supper. That's the difference with trans, from transubstantiation. Catholics believe that the bread and the wafer literally become his body and his blood. 
where the Lutheran view is they don't, but his body and his blood are present in the room every time the supper is taken. And there's more thoughts that would go deeper into those things. I'm giving you a basic overview of a class I could teach you about six to eight weeks if we were to take the time. There's this other idea out there of the Christian Passover. And so this would be those that follow the covenant theology view, I would call them. And what they do is they would view Israel, the Old Testament, the same as the church. So the church has replaced Israel. That's where their view stands. And so when you think on that, so Israel is the church. And you know how Israel, the Jews, had to be circumcised. They believe that's what baptism is, the outward symbol of that. And that the Passover was the same as the Lord's Supper and how it is taken. So with that, with that you got to understand, yes, the Lord's Supper was instituted at right near Passover, but the church has not replaced the Jews. Because the Jews, there's a seven-year period of the tribulation that's coming. And when that time comes, God's going to work through the Jews again. They simply have been put on hold. Their time clock stopped because they rejected their Messiah. So this view would not be a great view. Another view, and there are a lot of reformers that followed this, was the idea of sacraments. And sacraments meant that like baptism, the Lord's Supper is a means of grace for the believer and it's a sign and a seal of God's covenant. We understand that that's not the case with the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a picture of what Jesus has done for us. And the Lord's Supper cannot save and it will not save you. And there's so many other thoughts I could give you with all that. But let's look at this. Instead of talking about all the unscriptural teaching. And I know you come on a Wednesday night and you're like, Sunday you hear preaching. Wednesday nights we're going through doctrine. This is heavy stuff that we go through at times, and this is one of those nights. We see number two, scriptural teaching, or letter B, scriptural teaching when it comes to the Lord's Supper. Now you'll notice the Bible calls it three different things here in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 20, it calls it the Lord's Supper. Chapter 10, verse 21, refers to it as the Lord's Table. Have you ever heard someone call it the Lord's Table? They get that from chapter 10, verse 21. And then you hear some people call it communion, right? That comes from chapter 10, verse 16. The three scriptural phrases that are used is the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, and communion. Now what you notice is it's the Lord's, right? The Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table. It's His. And we need to do it His way when it comes to that. When we think about scriptural teaching about the Lord's Supper, the first thing that we see is this, number one, it's a time of obedience. It's a time of obedience. Look at what the verses tell us there. It says, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament of my blood, this do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Do you see there's a command in there? We're supposed to do this. This is something that we're to do. It's a command here. It's an it's act of obedience to God. Part of the Great Commission is to observe to do all things. That would include the Lord's Supper in that. So we see it's a time of obedience. Letter next, number two, it's a time of remembrance. This do 
in remembrance of me. The Lord's Supper, it's a memorial reminding the believer of the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That is the purpose of the Lord's Supper. You do it to remember him. Also, we see number three, it's a time of praise and thanksgiving to God. When he had given thanks, he broke it. And he did the same thing with the cup. The Bible is clear on that. It's a time of praise, a time of thanksgiving. Number four, it's a time of testimony. The Bible says that we do show the Lord's death till he come. That's what the Lord's Supper does. It shows the Lord's death. His broken body and his blood shed for us shows his death till he come. There's testimony in it. It's a time of testimony. And number five, it's a time of examination. The Bible tells us, so let a man examine himself there in verse 28. So we see tonight, what is the Lord's Supper? We see some unscriptural views, and we see the scriptural views. Now, number two, Roman numeral number two, two who may partake of the Lord's Supper? This is where a lot of division comes in. I'm going to give you, I'm not going to go through, we are Baptists here. We're independent Baptists, and I'm going to explain to you the different views that Baptists hold. The first one, letter A, would be, and there's three opinions in this matter, would be closed communion. And closed communion meaning only church members in good standing at that church may partake. That's what closed communion is. I know lots of churches my friends go to and churches that I could have been a part of where this is what they do. If you, if you are a church member and you are in good standing, they will take normally about one night a year, an off night from a church service, and they invite just the members to come and the members only partake of the Lord's Supper. And that's how they do it. And they've got some verses for that and I could explain all that to you, but for sake of time tonight, this is, but that's what they do. The second opinion out there would be close communion. It would be restricted to church members, but it's open to visiting members of like faith. And this one, this one's a tough one too, because Baptists have, Baptists have a lot of ideas and a lot of things. And uh, some of it is some Baptist tradition in there that isn't, we say we're scriptural in all that we do, but we're not completely scriptural in all that we do. With this idea here, this is, there are some Baptist churches that you cannot become a member of that church unless you're baptized in a Baptist church. And I've, uh, I was a part of an ordination council just recently, and I was the only one who didn't feel that way, and all the rest of them did there. I just kept my mouth closed during that time. Because they say, unless you're baptized in a Baptist church, your baptism isn't valid. So there was no Baptist church when Jesus got baptized, or when Philip got baptized. But what you got to understand is, Baptism comes after salvation, baptism by immersion. Say, so, well, what if their church believes wacky things? I, it's not my job to figure out what every church believes, because every church has wacky things they believe. But I'll tell you this, if someone is scripturally saved and they follow the Lord and believers' baptism, we accept them as church members. And I'll talk more about this here in a second. One other thing, and this is, oh, I, I don't even like talking about some of these things, because I don't, I don't like people to... When you talk about doctrine, you got to be honest and straightforward. 
I am a proponent and I believe in church membership. In all honesty, you got to stretch the Bible to even say that there is church membership. They were added unto them 3,000 souls. Well, duh, they got saved that day. They were added to the church there. So I know there are people that do not believe in church membership, don't say it's scriptural, and I don't disagree. But I will say this. Church membership is important, though. It might not be scriptural, but if you are going to hold to the doctrine and be able to hold accountable things, you need church membership. It is important. Because you say, well, well, no, why, if it's not scriptural, why do we need church membership? Then anyone could come in at any given time and vote and do whatever they pleased on anything that they want to. It shouldn't be that way. Church membership is important. And I'm glad it's something that was added, but it is not really scriptural. You can try and make it scriptural all you want, and I, you can. But in all honesty, it's, you, when you get saved, you're baptized into one body. That's what the Bible says. And you can stretch it any other way you want. And I'm not, and don't, pastor, you're going, I'm not going crazy. I believe in church membership, and we need church membership. And whoever came up with the idea, it is a good thing. But if we're going to hold and say it's scriptural, I'm not going to, one thing I decided a long time ago, I don't care what I've been taught, who's taught me what, if the Bible doesn't say it, I'm going to tell you the truth. Because I don't care what someone else has said or what they do. I'm going to answer to God for what I teach and preach. And then I'm not answering to you either. I'm answering to God. So, and I get that. So there are some people, and, but you got to understand, like in our church, if you're going to vote on things, you need to be a church member. If you're going to teach in this church, you need to be a church member. There is a vital role of being a church member. And I do believe church membership is a good thing. But if you want straight scripture for it, you're not going to find it unless you twist something to fit exactly what you want it to. So you have this idea of close communion, where it's only the members of the church. You have this idea of close communion, where if someone comes to you, so let's say, let's say, we'll just use an example. If this church was a close communion church, so let's say a Sunday morning we did the Lord's Supper, and someone came in from Calvary Chapel. Let's use that as an example. We have some differences in what we believe. That would not be considered a church of like faith. We would not allow them to partake of the Lord's Supper in our church if we were close. If someone came from a Baptist church, okay, if they came from Lighthouse Baptist in Laverne, there's a Baptist church, they could partake because they were close. Our beliefs are close, something like that. That's what close means. So there's this idea of closed, close, and letter C, open. If you are saved, you decide for yourself. If you are saved, you decide for yourself. Now, as I have said, there are three different opinions on these things. And you got to understand, the Spirit of God can work differently on different people. So you cannot look and say someone is wrong if they hold this stance, when to the Bible, to them, that's what it says. And that's what they believe. And we just agree to disagree on it. And as I mentioned, the church before here, it was closed. They were not wrong. It was not wrong. But as pastor, it was not going to stay that way with me. We are open. You say, why are you open? Because it's not my job to police you and what you do. Let a man examine himself. It's found right there. That's why 
And this is the thing. You say, what, what needs to happen? So what is a prerequisite to the Lord's Supper? You need to be saved. And I'll tell you what I do with my family. You, can, you, can, you pray to God and you do what you want to do. For me, I don't let my children partake till they've been saved and baptized. That's the way I do it. You say, is that the right way? That's where I do it. That's where my Bible conviction is. If your conviction is that once you're saved, that's good enough, you do it then. It's not my job to tell you what to do and what not to do. It's not my job to police and say, you can partake, but you can't. And you, no. No, let a man examine himself, and so let him taste. And then we also got to remember this, and I, I, I don't know what some of you are even thinking with me tonight. When we look at that word unworthily, I've had many people come to me and they're like, Pastor, I have sin in my life, so I didn't partake. If the Lord convicts you of that sin and that you shouldn't partake, you do as the Lord leads you to. But not one of us in this room is worthy of taking the Lord's Supper. If you take the Bible in context here, the unworthily is talking about the buffet they made the Lord's Supper into. That's what it's referring to. And people were getting sick, and some even died. Because that word sickly and they went to sleep, some died because of not doing the Lord's Supper correctly. And so there is a proper way of doing it. But it's not about unworthy, because none of us in this room are worthy to even unlatch the shoes of Jesus, let alone eat his supper. But Jesus makes it so we can. And so our church, we follow this idea of open. And so those are, so who can partake? We see the different ideas there. Number three, let's keep on moving and see if we can get on to other things. Number three, are there any restrictions? Yeah, there's some restrictions, of course. Let's look at those restrictions tonight. We're, we're, doing, we're doing good on time. We're going to get done with this in just a little bit. You say, yeah, there's only a few points left. Don't get fooled. When there's just lines and there's nothing underneath, it doesn't mean it's going to be fast, okay? Don't get those ideas. Someone told, do you know what someone told me on Sunday? It was Mona. Mark and Mona weren't here, but she's like, I was listening to your message online, and she's like, you were very short. You were done in 30 minutes. You need to preach longer. I said, I've never, I've never heard anybody tell me I need to preach longer. No one in the building here was going to tell me I need to preach longer. They were all excited to get out. Yeah. But I thought that was pretty funny. So are there any restrictions? Well, when we talk about this, letter A, it's restricted to a place. The Bible makes it clear. Look at verse 17. Now, this I, now, now in this I declare unto you, I praise you not, that ye come together, not for the better, but for the worse. Look at verse 18. For first of all, when ye come together in the church, verse number 20, it says, when ye come together, therefore, into one place, when you're coming to church, look at verse 22, what, have ye not houses to eat and drink in, or despise ye the church of God? So, the Lord's Supper, as we look at this, it's, it's restricted to the church. It's where it's supposed to be done. Look at this chapter. It says it over and over and over again. So it should be done at church. That's where it's supposed to be done. And there are many people that have many thoughts on all of this as well. And there are a few times, well, I'll give you an example. I haven't been able to go to the nursing home and see Betty Laughlin in a while, but the Laughlins used to come to our church years ago. Some of you don't really know them, but Betty Laughlin 
she asked me a while back, back before COVID, so it's a long while back. She's like, Pastor, I just, I would love to take the Lord's Supper. And personally, I like to do it here in church, and that's it. I don't go, I think, Russ, I brought it to you one time as well, didn't I? I brought it to you once before you, you could really come as you've been coming, because it had been years. So there is a rare occasion where I would take the elements, and I did it at the nursing home with her and her husband, and I did it with Russ. But I believe, according to Scripture, it's restricted to a place. When you come together, it's a church ordinance. Let's go on to the next one. Here we go, letter B. It's, there's restrictions on how it was done. Restrictions on how it was done. I heard someone once say you could give bananas out and drink Coca-Cola, and you could do it as the Lord's Supper. I heard someone say that. I'm glad we don't do bananas and Coca-Cola. Oh, Coca-Cola might be good, but it's not enough. Dr. Pepper, Dr. Pepper, Dr. Pepper. That might be a little bit better on that idea there. But when we look at the scripture, what the Bible tells us is we see that bread is mentioned, and that bread was unleavened bread, no yeast in it, because it's a pitcher, right? Yeast symbolizes sin in the Bible. So it was unleavened bread. So when you break the bread, you have unleavened bread. And then we use grape juice. The fruit of the vine is what is used to represent this, the Lord's Supper. And thank God, I'm glad that we aren't like, so, you know, I'm glad we get our own individual cups. I'm glad we don't share one big cup together. That's a good thing. And so I'm sure it says somewhere in the Bible that we are supposed to have little cups and do it that way too but it doesn't say that either but I'm glad someone thought of that I'm glad we don't all share one big cup and so that's a good thing and uh, some would say well why don't we use alcohol why don't we use wine for it one of the funniest things and I hate to even bring up this story I shouldn't even bring up this story but um, Caroline's grandpa had passed away and we went to his, uh, his funeral in Minnesota and uh, it was a Catholic funeral and I had never been to and I've been to several now, but when I've been to a couple in your family, and there's a few that I've been to now. But the fun, the funniest, and it's it's a it's a memorial service. It's not supposed to be funny, but you saw you saw the priest, and so the priest was pouring the wine into the cup, and you know they would come up if they wanted to partake of the cup, and it was weird seeing them kneel down to all those things. The incense, I started sneezing and different things like that. But anyways, the thing I was going to say is the uh, when so when he's all done. You just see the priest behind his little stand over there, and he takes the little bottle, and he just downs the rest of his wine. I just thought that was so funny to see. But anyways, I thought that was pretty funny. But um, you say, well, so think about this. We use unleavened bread because yeast is a symbol of decay and sin. Well, what is wine? It's fermented, decayed grapes. Same reason you wouldn't use wine for the Lord's Supper. Does that make sense? It's representing his body and his blood. That's why it's done that way. There's restrictions on how it was done. Letter C. Restricted as to its purpose. Restricted as to its purpose. There, it's a twofold purpose in the Lord's Supper. Are you ready? Number one, 
time of remembrance. Man, we talk about all the, you can do this and you can do that, and certain people can do, no, it's a time of remembrance. A time of remembrance. And number two, it shows the Lord's death. Those are the two purposes of the Lord's Supper. And lastly, are you ready? Number four. When should we partake of the Lord's Supper? And I left it blank so you could just write this in for yourself. Look at verse number um, 26 right there. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. So does the Bible tell you? Now, there are people, some churches do it every week. A friend of mine, he pastors here in town, one of the chaplains I know. Their church does it every single week. It's every week. Um, my home church growing up and in college, First Baptist Church of Hammond, they did it once a month. Sometimes it would be a Sunday morning, sometimes it would be a Sunday night. I've been a part of a church where they would do four times a year, every quarter. And I've been a part of a church where they did it once a year. I've heard there are some churches that do it even less than that. But this is, you say, so which one is right and which one's wrong? Look at what it says. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. You do it as often as the Lord leads you to. So if someone does it once a year, is that wrong? Nope. Is four times a year wrong? Nope. Is 12 times a year wrong? Nope. Is every week wrong? Nope. And some people, I've heard people say, well, the more you do it, the less meaningful it is. I get what they say with that, but it's, it's always meaningful when it's done, and it should be. And if it loses that for you, that's, that's not really good. And we, we do it right now about every two months. When I, when I first started pastoring, being honest, we did it once every six months. I didn't do it a lot. And then I eased it into every three months, and then to every two, and before long, it'll be once a month, and it'll stay right there. There will be right around that. Um, I love this last year where um, how I, or it was actually a couple times ago, I, I made the juice and the bread. So we're going to do that special time the Wednesday before Easter each year and make that service just a special Lord's Supper service. But a church isn't wrong to do it once every five years, once a year, or whatever they do it. But when you do it, you do it in remembrance of the Lord and to show his death till he comes. And then number five is not up there, but I can't wait for the day I never take the Lord's Supper again. Because you know what that means? That means we're going to be with Jesus. There'll be no need. And praise God for that day. The Lord's so good to us. And I love the fact that as crazy as us Baptists get on all these things, the Lord gave us something to remember him by. Let's not forget that and let's take full advantage of it and remember him as much as we can. Father, I thank you.